Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 19, the book of Judges chapter 19. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, Judges 19, it's a very, very painful chapter. Uh, before we begin our study, it's very important to remember the era of Judges 19 and, and just, you know, the, the, the things that happen in the book of Judges in the entirety of the book of Judges. But even with the last several weeks, you know, understand that the Lord, he's become forgotten in this era of Judges 19. The Lord has become forgotten. Remember in Judges 17 in verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then in Judges 21, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, the chapters and verses in between, what do we see? We see a whole lot of mess. And mess begets mess, begets mess, begets mess, which begets pain, which begets more pain and begets even more pain. But when the Lord becomes forgotten, what can anyone expect? What can anyone expect except the pain, the mess, the ruin, and more mess, and more pain, and more ruin. What can anyone expect? This is a very painful chapter. But remember several chapters back, we saw how idolatry spreads. Idolatry spread from parent to son, to home, to neighborhood, to town, to tribe, and it's only getting worse. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. It, it's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. And so we begin our study in Judges 19. Judges 19, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote town or in the remote mountains of Ephraim. He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, look what we see already. Look what we see already. This wasn't a wife in the traditional sense. She was a wife, yes, but as concubine. Now, concubines, sexual slaves. That's what they are. Concubines were sexual slaves. And I don't want to be graphic in saying this in any way, shape, or form. I do not want to be graphic in how this is said. You know, it's it's one thing to have a wife and to have sexual intimacy. That's one thing. But it's entirely different to have a woman for the sole purpose of sexual gratification. And that's what's happening with this Levite. That's what's happening with this particular Levite. Remember, in our study in Leviticus, and we make mention every now and then, Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan, remember? Now, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. Remember, Levites, they have a task. They have a role in Israel. And it's for people to be right with God. Now, remember, this is Old Covenant, Old Testament, meaning the old rules of engagement. You and me, we are new 
covenant believers. But even still, remember when we, we studied uh, uh, the book of Leviticus, it came with the warning labels. And we looked at New Testament truths because we are a people of the new covenant. But even still, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan, the Levites, they have a role, they have a task, and it's for people to be right with the Lord and to be preoccupied with a concubine for sexual gratification reveals what isn't happening. Is this Levite praying? Is this Levite studying the scrolls? No, his mind and his passions are elsewhere. Already we see something right off the bat in verse one. And I don't want to gloss over the concubine like it's no big deal. Now, remember, the law does have allowances because of the hardness of men's hearts. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you might be like, you know, okay, that's it. I I don't like concubines. I don't like what we see here. So, okay, I'm out. But if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, especially for my beautiful sisters in Christ, you know, a lot of times, you know, with women and, you know, young girls, teenagers, you know, middle age and old ladies, there's a big problem with when we see multiple wives and concubines in the Old Testament. Me personally, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm in the same boat. You get the heebie-jeebies when you see stuff like that in the Bible? Me too. I don't like it. And remember when the Pharisees, they tried to trap Jesus and ask him about these leniencies and certain things in the law that were permitted. And Jesus tells them that it's because of the hardness of the men's hearts. But then Jesus, he points to the beginning and he says, in the beginning, it was not so. You see, how many wives did Adam have? One. How many wives did Noah have? One. You see, do you remember our study through Galatians? The law is the additive. The law was added because of sin. The law was added because of transgression. Remember, the law is the additive. And when the Pharisees, they asked Jesus, Jesus points to the beginning. In the beginning, it was not so. And so my beautiful sisters in Christ, I love you. And you hear these things, you're like, well, concubine, you don't like that. You get like, you just like, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't sound good. It's just gross. It's got like a yuck factor that's high. And I'm in the same boat. And Jesus points further back. You know, in, you know, in the law, you know, you know our, our fathers did this. They tried to trap Jesus and Jesus says, hey, you're not going far enough. Go further into history. Go further back into history. In the beginning, it was not so. You see, Adam, one wife. Noah, one wife. You see. And in this era of Judges 19, Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. When idolatry spread, remember in, in, in chapter 17, idolatry, it's spreading. And when idolatry spreads, what can be expected but mess? And when mess spreads, what can be expected but hurt? And so this Levite, he's preoccupied. Instead of praying, instead of reading the scrolls and studying the scrolls, no, he has his concubine to fulfill his sexual passions. Now, in verse 2, but his concubine played the harlot against him. 
she played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there for for and was there four whole months so notice this concubine was unfaithful to the levite she was in adultery and she goes back to her dad now the law has provisions for everything we see happening already but it's not being adhered to it's not being adhered. it's not being followed and if we see this in the in the home of the levite how can Israel be clean if we see this in the home? It's just like we see with pastors and overseers today. Remember our study through the pastoral epistles and 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and don't forget Philemon. The home is open to scrutiny. The home is open to scrutiny. And if a pastor, you know, has his prostitutes and strippers and pornography, you know what? He's compromised. And if the home is unclean, how can the church be clean? I mean, sometimes we study these passages in the Old Testament, but we forget that, just like Paul says, that these things were written for our admonition, for our warning, so that you and me can learn and understand. And remember, we we always say, only the clean can clean. We see it in the Old Testament, only the clean can clean. We see it in the New Testament, only the clean can clean. And it still applies today, only the clean can clean. But what happens when the Levites, what happens when the priesthood, when they are the ones who are unclean? How can Israel be clean? What happens when the pastors of today are unclean? How can the church be clean? You see, remember the defunct of Corinth? The defunct pastors and the defunct elders of Corinth. And where you see leaven in the church. Why was the leaven even there? In Corinth. The sex and the alcohol and the extortion. Because only the clean can clean. And where were the clean? You see? Look at verse 3. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the, of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. So here the dad is meeting the Levite. And it says a lot about the dad and daughter relationship too. You know, so he's glad to meet him. So it's, you know, it says a lot about that relationship in that home when she was growing up as a young girl, young teenager. It says a lot about the father-daughter relationship. In verse 4, now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him and he stayed with them three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. Now, this detaining, it's not like, you know, detaining in the sense like, you know, the father-in-law tied him down, you know, hi, it's nice to meet you. And, you know, he's putting ropes around his wrist and tying him to the chair. No, it's the, it's to hold and strengthen. That's how it translates in the Hebrew is to hold and strengthen. You know, like today we have long road journeys today and I teach from America just so I know we have listeners all over the world, but I teach from America and, you know, it might be similar in Sweden. It might be similar in uh venezuela 
But in America, you know, sometimes people go on their long road journeys and, you know, like we're so spoiled today because we, we get to sit in a car, you know, and, you know, they have like, you know, uh, 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 gas stations along the way. You can get some chips, you can get a burger, you can get a hot dog, you can get some coffee. You can read there's rest areas where you go on a long journey. You can pull over and, you know, take a nap, go to sleep. You know, they have bathroom facilities at rest stops and, you know, you're running low on gas. You get your gas, you know, get some jerky for the road trip. But back in the day, Long journeys, traveling was very difficult. We're so spoiled today. And long journeys were tiring. And so when you see this detaining, it's not like he's tying him down. No, it's detaining is to, you know, hold down and rest. Like, you know, like rest here. This is so you can be strengthened. And, you know, they're still tiring today, but it's nothing like back then. And so here in verse four, you think like, okay, well, the, the relationships, they're being restored, you know, daughter and dad, Levite and concubine and Levite and father-in-law, everything seems fine. The relationships, they're being restored. But let's see what happens in verse five. Then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, refresh your heart with a morsel of bread and afterward go your way. So they sat down and the two of them ate and drank together. And the young woman's father said to the man, please be content to stay here all night and let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him. So he lodged there again. Look at all what's what's happening here. Oh, it seems fine. It seems fine. The relationships and, you know, they're talking, they're eating, you know. He lodged there again at the end of verse 6. You know, let your heart be merry. Everything seems fine. Verse 8. Then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon and both of them ate. In verse 9, and when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now drawing and and is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that you may come home. And verse 10, however... The man was not willing to spend that night. So he, so he rose and departed and came opposite Jebus, Jebus, that is Jerusalem. With him were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. And verse 11, they were near Jebus and the day was far spent. And the servant said to his master, Come, please, and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge there. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. Let's go to Gibeah where it's nice and safe. And verse 13. So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way. 
And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside to go in to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Just then, an old man came in from his work in the field at evening, who also was from the mountains of Ephraim. He was staying in Gibeah, where the men of the, of the place were Benjamites. So now he meets a fellow countryman. Uh, the, the Levite, you know, he is, he's uh, also from the mountains of Ephraim. And so he meets a, a, a countryman, this old fellow, an old man who came in from his work in the field. So far, everything seems okay. They're just, we see certain things, you know, Levite, you know, preoccupied. He has his sexual passions and he has a concubine, uh, you know, still, you know, a wife, but less wife in the traditional sense and more wife in the sexual slave sense. So, you know, and then I'm not glossing over that. Like it's no big deal. It's a very big deal. But we also see, you know, like why isn't the Levite preoccupied? Why isn't the Levite Occupying his time and his mind in prayer, in Torah, in the scrolls. Why? He has his passions. And so he has his passions. He has his concubine for a wife. She was unfaithful to him. She cheated on him. They separate. He goes, she goes to her dad. He follows, goes to her dad. They tarry at the dad's place. Now they're on this journey and they're looking for a place to lodge. And they meet this old man. And in verse 17. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going? And where do you come from? Verse 18. So he said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem in Judah toward the, toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem in Judah. Now I am going to the house of the Lord, but there is no one who will take me into his house. He's just telling the old man. No one will provide shelter for the Levite. He's on his way to the house of the Lord. Everything seems fine. But we can see a certain coldness to the town with no shelter being available. Now, remember, this is for a Levite. This is a Levite. Now, there was an esteem to Levites in the sense of duty when God is honored. But when God is forgotten, who cares? And I don't mean that like, you know, like who cares? I mean, like. Who cares? Like, who is there to care? I mean, like, for example, like, you know, the remember when, when Paul made mention of the saints in Asia in 55 AD, the saints in Asia, they have a respect for Paul. They have a, a, a love for Paul. But in 67 AD, who's Paul? You see, we like Alexander. We like Himenaeus. 55 AD, we love Paul. We love Paul. Oh, he's so great. He's a good teacher. We love Paul a lot. You know, he helps us in our walk with the Lord. That's 55 AD. 67 AD, who's Paul? Oh, that guy, he's mean. We don't like him. 
He says our rejoicing isn't good. He calls the sex leaven. He calls the alcohol leaven. He calls the extortion leaven. And he says that our gathering, our, 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 our rejoicing together, it's not a good thing. Too judgmental. We don't like him. And that's what we mean when we say, who cares? When God is honored, you know, there's esteem for Levites. There's esteem for the priesthood. But when God is forgotten, eh, just a Levite. You see? And so notice the two men. There's the old guy and there's the Levite. They're having their first meeting. And they're countrymen. Both of them from the mountains of Ephraim. They're talking. The Levite and the old man returning from work, they're just having a conversation. And the Levite is explaining this conundrum of having no place to shelter. And in verse 19, he continues and telling the old man, he says, although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant and for the young man who is with your servant, there is no lack of anything. Now, there's something strange we see in this particular not just this particular Levite, but we've seen it in the last several weeks among another Levite. They're very quick to offer themselves in service to another. Very quick to offer themselves. I mean, we see it here. The Levite is just, you know, he just met the old guy. He just met the old man. And, you know, and he's, you know, for, for, you know for the, with your servant, you know, there's no lack of anything. Just throwing himself like, I'm your servant. We see it with the, the Levite with Micah. You see, the Levite was very quick to offer himself in service to Micah. Remember our study in chapter 17? We see how idolatry spreads in chapter 18. And here we are in chapter 19. And you see something rather odd about the Levites. They're very quick to offer themselves in service to another. Where is the Levite who offers himself to the Lord? In service to the Lord. Where is such a Levite? Where is Aboda Aboda Mishkan? Remember our study from Leviticus. Where can it be found? Just the opposite can be found. How idolatry spreads from uh, 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 from Judges 17. How idolatry was in a person. Which spread to the sun. Which spread to the home. Which spread now, you know, you have compromised through the Levite, the, the priest that came in and dwelled in the home of Micah. And then don't forget the idolatry from chapter 17. And then you get into chapter 18. And you see, okay, now it's spreading in not just in neighborhood. You see it spread in town. And then you see, see it spread among the Danites. You see it spread through the tribe. And it's only getting worse. But the whole time, where in the world is the Levite who offers himself to the Lord? You see? 
Say we're in this era. Say you and me, we're in this era. We get in my time machine and we go into this era of Judges 17, Judges 18, and Judges 19. As terrible as it sounds, let's say, for example, that we come down with leprosy. As terrible as that sounds, let's say we come down with leprosy, which is not a good thing. And we acknowledge that it's not a good thing. And we want to be clean again. We want to be right with the Lord and we want to be clean. Now, would you want to go to this Levite? Would you want to go to Micah's Levite with the idols? Would you want to go to the Levite in Dan with their idols? You see, in the early church, we want to be clean before the Lord. Let's get back in the time machine and let's go forward, but we're going to stop at, you know, 2000, give or take a couple years. And, you know, we're in the early church and we want to be clean before the Lord. Are we to seek James or Alexander? Now, if you're a new listener, you might, you know, what are these names? Who's Micah? Who is this, you know, this, you know, the, 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 the Levites, you know, who, who is the priest that he mentions from chapter 17? Well, go back and listen to our studies. You're a new listener. Who's James? Who's Alexander? Go back and listen to the pastoral epistles and in the book of James. You'll understand more. But we want to be clean before the Lord. Where is it safe to go? Is it safe to seek counsel from James? Or is it safe to, to seek counsel from Alexander? This Two leaders. Two leaders in what is referred to as the church. Alexander was a leader in the church. James was a leader in the church. Seem like, you know, they have the same credentials. Where is it safe to seek counsel? And a new believer, a baby Christian, might think, oh, it's no big deal. James, Alexander, Himenaeus, I'll just go wherever. But a Berean, one who is more mature in the knowledge of the scriptures, knows that with Alexander, that's poison. With Himenaeus, that's poison. But with James... It's safe. With Peter, it is safe. You see? We see examples like this in the Old Testament. Look at these Levites. Look at these Levites. Where, where is Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? Is the idolatrous Levite, paid for by Micah, is he safe to seek counsel from? Are we to go to him to be clean? In the early church, are we to go to Alexander to be clean? Are we to go to Himenaeus to be clean? For their counsel and guidance? What about today? What about today? We want to be clean before the Lord. Where in the world are the shepherds? In faithful service to the Lord, shepherding God's people to His only begotten Son. Where are the shepherds.
you see? And shepherds becoming idolatrous? That's what happens when God is forgotten. That is precisely what happens when God becomes forgotten. You see the Bible? The Bible says, Jesus says, we are the salt of the earth. And with all the churches and with all the pastors, you'd think this world would be better than its present state. With all the churches all over the world and all the pastors, all the Christians, you'd think that this world would be in a better condition. And I do teach from America presently. And with all the churches and with all the pastors, you would think America would be better than its present state because Jesus does say we are the salt of the earth. But he also says, what happens when salt loses its flavor? And he says it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. You see? So this particular Levite in Judges 19, he's really quick, <clears throat> really quick to offer himself in service to this old man that he just met. In verse 20, and the old man said, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. Verse 21, so he brought him into his house and gave fodder to the donkeys and they washed their feet and ate and drank. Seems, everything seems fine, so to speak. Look what happens in verse 22. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city perverted men in the hebrew translates as wicked godless and adulterous men these perverted men surrounded the house and beat on the door they spoke to the master of the house the old man saying bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally you see these wicked perverted men translates in the hebrew as godless and adulterous and wicked they're perverted what they want to do, they want to have sex with the Levite. That's what they want to do. They want to have sex with the Levite. What in the world has happened to Gibeah? The town of Gibeah. What in the world has happened to the town of Gibeah? Now, remember, the Lord has become forgotten throughout the, I mean, look at, look at the, the, the tribe of Dan, look at their idolatry, what we studied last week, how idolatry spread. And when the Lord becomes forgotten, decay follows and it gets worse and worse. Culture and society become trampled underfoot by men. Now, just think, just think for a moment. Think of what godly Levites Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Think about what godly Levites could have done in this city just 10 years prior to this moment. I mean, here you have the, the townspeople banging on the door. You know, we want to have sex with the Levite. But you hit the rewind button and go back 10 years. Think about what godly Levites could have done in this city. For people to be right with the Lord. 
What about five years prior? What about a year prior? But oh no. You see, this Levite, this Levite who the townspeople want to have sex with, he didn't have a wife in the traditional sense. He had a concubine, a sexual slave to fulfill his sexual gratification. Micah's Levite? No, he's preoccupied with his idols. Bought and paid for by Micah. You see? Bought and paid for by Micah, and then he goes and he switches camp over to Danites. You see? Does it get better? No, the idolatry spreads. You see, it spreads. It metastasized. Idolatry. Look at this decay of Gibeah. It's gotten worse. There are wicked, perverted men. That's one thing. That's one thing. But it's not just wickedness and perversion of mind. Now there are deeds attached to it. Now there is a physical threat. See, a lot of times people say, oh, you know what? This guy, this guy killed somebody or this guy raped this lady or, you know, and they say, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. And it is terrible. Don't get me wrong. It is terrible. But you hit the rewind button in that guy's life before the murder, before the rape. What's going on in his disgusting mind? What's going, what in the world is going on in that filthy, filthy, filthy mind? A husband is unfaithful to his wife. And like, oh, you know, he cheated on his wife. He cheated on his wife. And yes, that's terrible. But you hit the rewind button. What about, what about 10 years earlier? From the very deed, the very act of sexual infidelity. And what about 10 years earlier, 10 years prior where a pastor says, oh, it's okay to look, but don't touch. A pastor tells him. Looky, no touchy. But what does Jesus say? When you look at a woman and lust, you've already, it's already done. It's already done. You don't have to go fast forward 10 years till the deed. No, Jesus says, nope, it's already done. You've committed adultery in your heart when you look at a woman in lust. Men, that's what Jesus says. He raises the bar. That's what he says. So you take a husband who's sexually unfaithful to his wife. And egregious sin, egregious, egregious sin, terrible. But people like to point at that particular moment. The day it happened, the day, the, 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 the day of the first time. People say, oh, that's when it started, that's when it started. Nope, that's not when it started. You hit the rewind button. It started much sooner. It started in his wicked, disgusting, decayed mind, rotten mind. Oh, but he goes to church. He's a Christian. He goes to church. That's nice. Wrong formula. Who's his pastor? Show me his pastor. Show me the defunct man. Defunct pastor. No power. 
because he's not teaching. Just he didn't heed the teachings of Brother James, who says, "Let no, let there not, let, let not there be many teachers." You see. Instead, you have pastors today. Oh, it's okay to look, but don't touch. Look, but don't touch. That's what pastors say. Oh, men will be men. Fools. And what does Jesus say? It's already done. You look and lust, boom, it's already done. You are an adulterer. You see? And so you look at Gibeah here in Judges 19, you look at Gibeah. And yes, there's this act and this behavior, wicked, wicked behavior, banging on the door. We want to have sex with the Levite. Bring them out. We want to have sex with them. And yes, it's a, an act of wickedness, a deed of wickedness that these men of Gibeah, that they desire. What's going on in their mind? What has been going on in their mind for the last two months? For the last two weeks, two months, two years, two decades? What in the world is going on in their minds? You see? Why does it get to this point where they want the fulfillment of their sexual perversions? Why does it get to this point where in the world are the priests so that people can be right with the Lord? And then you look at the priests, such as the one we have here in Judges 19, such as the one we saw in Judges 18, such as the one we saw in Judges 17. And what do we see? The priesthood is compromised. And since only the clean can clean, the dirty make dirty. The filthy make filthy. The corrupt make corrupt. You see? Gibeah? What was going on in their mind? Their behaviors? When idolatry has spread? When the Lord has become forgotten? Look at the rotten fruit we see in this town. Gibeah. Now it's a physical threat. Banging on the door. Give me that guy. We want to have sex with him. You see? These aren't reserved to the Judges 19 era. We see it all throughout the Bible. We see it today. The perversions of men today. It's festering and getting worse. Outside the church, yes. But the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church, you see, and it's metastasizing, you see, what do you think culture will look like as men become more lovers of self, which is a sign of the end, men will be lovers of self. Love waxing cold, another sign of the end. What do you think culture will look like? With selfish men with no love, what in the world do you think culture would look like? I mean, we look at Gibeah here. The, the 
path that has led to this moment where the, Gib- the people of Gibeah are behaving in such a manner. And you say, well, okay, that this is the Old Testament, so we don't have to worry about that. No, 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 no. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. When the Lord becomes forgotten and idolatry spreads, and the shepherds, so-called shepherds, are defunct, Men become lovers of self. Love waxes cold. And at the same time, we can say this is already happening. We can say this is already happening. Lovers of self. Love waxing cold. Idolatry spreading. The Lord becoming forgotten. Apostasy is prophesied. Don't forget. It's the falling away from the faith, the defection away from truth. On top of that, don't forget, he who restrains the Holy Spirit will be lifted. Another sign of the end. What do you think that culture will look like? When the decay and the rot has grown worse and worse and metastasized and becomes a physical threat. See, sometimes we read these passages in the Old Testament like, okay, that's, that's nice. That's just the book of Judges. I read it, you know, once, once a decade, you know, I might touch on Judges and so no big deal. That's, that's Gibeah. Nothing new under the sun. Physical threat. There will be physical threats for saints in the last days. It's already happening in certain regions. You might be listening in a region where it's very, very dangerous to be a Christian. And you're living in an area where the decay and rot, it's already metastasized and there are physical threats. But listen, you know, this is going to spread all throughout the world. The rise of the spirit of Antichrist, which ultimately will lead to the Antichrist himself when Satan finds his host. What do you think that culture will look like? And you take this guy in Judges 19, the master of the house, look at verse 23. But the man, this is the old guy now, the master of the house went out to them and said, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act. Do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. What in the world? What is happening? What has happened? Look... The Levites, remember, he was so quick to offer himself in service to the old man. He just met him. He just met the guy in less than five minutes. He's like offering himself, look, I'm, I'm, I'll be your servant. In just five minutes. You see? The Lord has become forgotten in the land in this era of Judges 19. And everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. The old man, this is what seems right to him. To the wicked perverts, he says, take my virgin daughter. She's probably young. 
and take my servant. This is the Levite's concubine. You say, wait a second. How can you refer to her as the old man's servant? Number one, I didn't. Her perverted husband, the Levite did in verse 19, because he says your female servant, her own husband did. You see? What's happening? We see the idolatry in chapter 17. We see how it grows and metastasizes. It gets in in chapter 18. Here we are in chapter 19. Look at this culture. Look at these townspeople. Look at Gibeah. Banging on the door. Bring out the guy. We want to have sex with him. What? And then the, the old guy comes out here. Take, take my virgin daughter. She's probably young. Take her and take the concubine. What? What's happening? Do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our studies through Torah? How we presented servanthood unto master as not really a bad thing, as something quite beautiful and lovely. And, you know, at the time, it might have seemed strange. Like, slavery is a bad thing. Slavery is a bad thing. It depends on the camp. It depends on the camp because to be a slave in the camp of Israel when the formula is right, it's more like indentured servitude. It's only for a certain period of time. It's not like forever. Everybody, oh, slavery is a bad thing. Slavery is a bad thing. And yeah, I can agree. But let us not forget. It depends on the camp. You see? Everybody's a slave to something. A slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. Everybody's a slave to something. Righteousness or sin. Choose. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. And if you remember our studies through Torah, we presented servanthood as something quite lovely. And I know it seems strange. But we presented the example of you and me. You and me as slaves, as servants unto our master. Remember where, say you and me, we, we, we're, we're poor. We grew up poor. Say we're brother and sister. I meant like of the flesh, like, you know, you and me, we're brother and sister. Well, if you're male, you know, we're brother and brother. But if you're female, we're brother and sister, according to spirit. If you're a Christian. We're spiritual Family, which is better than carnal. But say, for example, you and me, we grew up poor and we're biological brother and brother, brother and sister, whatever sex you are. And we grew up poor and we're still poor and we're sold as servants in the camp of Israel. Now, we become servants in a rich guy's tent. 
And we're this, this chunk of money, it goes to our family. And our family can now buy, instead, instead of having turtle doves, you know, our family can buy like goats, maybe an ox. Breed the animals so that they become wealthy. They have more, you know, instead of like two goats, now there's eight goats. Now there's 30 goats. Now there's 40 goats. Now there's 100 goats. Now there's 200 goats. And, you know, where there was one ox, you know, and, you know, uh, well, not one, two oxen, you know, and then now there's like four oxen. Now our family can move on from that poverty, being impoverished, because you and me being servants was bought at a price. And it's only for a period of time. It's not like, you know, we're servants forever. We're going to be slaves forever. It's only for a period of time. And in that time, we serve our master. And we didn't know him at first. We saw him from a distance every now and then. He lived on the other side of the tracks. We saw him from a distance. We knew, okay, this guy's got some, some stature, some wealth. Okay. But now we're in his tent. And then we realize, oh my goodness, this is a beautiful man. He doesn't beat us. He doesn't treat us terribly. He doesn't treat us negatively. He doesn't treat us bad at all. In fact, it's like we're, he treats us like we're his own family. Remember where I'm the cook and you serve. And so I make, you know, it's breakfast time and I make the scrambled eggs and, you know, some, a nice kosher meal. <laughs> and, you know, I do my seasonings or whatever. And then, you know, you, you take the plate. I say, okay, I ring the bell. Bing. And you come in, you grab the plate, and you take it to our master. And then you see him take a bite. You see him put the, the salt, the, the pepper, and some, you know, I don't know, whatever seasoning, some paprika, I don't know, whatever seasoning. And then you realize, like, oh, he, he doesn't like the eggs the way that I prepared it. So you come back to the kitchen, and you tell me, oh, no, no, look, he put a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And in the course of time, we don't... You don't have to, you know, there, there's no changing to the recipe because in the course of time, I've already changed the recipe to accommodate our master. You see? And you don't prepare the table in a manner that he doesn't like. You do it in a way that he likes because you get to know him. And as we get to know him, he, he looks at us and says, hey, pull up a chair. Pull up a chair. Join me for this meal. And we eat. He says, no, sleep over here. You got these rooms over here. Go sleep over here. And we're like, what? He treats us like we're his own family. He treats us like we're his own sons. He treats us like, you know, if you're a female, he treats us like you're own, his own daughter. And it's like, and then we fall in love with him. He's so lovely. He's so beautiful. We fall in love with him. And then the time comes, you know, okay, it's time for us to be free. You know, it's the day before we're about to be free and we're sad. You know, people think, okay, I, I get to be free. I'm so full of joy. T -t Tomorrow's my day of freedom. And you and me, we're sad. We're broken hearted. We have the opportunity to be free, but we don't want to be free. Because we love our master. He treats us well. He's kind to us. And it's a joy to serve him. He doesn't even refer to us as servants. He calls us friends. 
And so we go to the master and we say, Master, tomorrow's our day where we can be free, Master. But Master, we love you. We don't want to be free. Master, we desire to be your bondservants. See? Now the master has to approve. You know, the master might say, well, you know, I didn't like you that much. So, you know, tomorrow you're free. But he says, no. You tell me you love me. And let me tell you something. I love you as well. I would love for you to be my bondservants, he says to us. And so what happens that morning instead of being free? We go to the, the doorway. And the master takes an awl, which is like a, like a pokey tool. And we put our head to the door on our right ear. He pierces our ear. It goes through the, through the ear. And so we have this ring on our ears, our right ear. And what happens? We're serving. He has like, you know, guests at the home. And, you know, we're serving our master. And the guests in the home are like, they, they see the servants. They see this nice, beautiful meal that's prepared. And they look up at you. They look up at me. And they see like, wow, he's got a ring on his ear. She's got a ring on her ear. That means that these aren't just run-of-the-mill servants. No, they're bond servants. They love their master. And the master loves them. You see? This is what we learn in Torah. The law. I'm not advocating the law, but... We look at the law and you're like, whoa, this is pretty beautiful. And not advocating the law. Remember, the law is still holy. It's the lesser glory. The greater glory is in the law's fulfillment, which is Jesus Christ. And what does Paul say? What does Peter say? That they are bond servants to Jesus. You see? How the law teaches us about servanthood and bondservanthood. And when Paul says, I'm a bondservant of Christ. When Peter says, I'm a bondservant of Christ. That's a big deal. You see. Where are the bondservants of Jesus today? Then you have this Levite. From Judges 19, you have this Levite met this guy in five minutes. He's saying, I'll be your servant. He just met this guy on the same five-minute conversation. He's, okay, I'll be your servant. Now look how this master is dealing with them. First of all, he says of his own daughter, his own virgin daughter, who's probably young. The men are banging at the door. Bring out the Levite. We want to have sex with him. The old man comes out. Here, take my daughter. She's a virgin. Take her. And then he says to his servant, the Levite's concubine, take her as well. You see? You look at... Well, wait a second. In Torah, when we were studying Torah in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, when we were studying Torah, the five books of Moses, you presented the master like it was a beautiful thing. And we look at this guy, this old guy, it's like, what's the disconnect? That's precisely my point. 
See? That's precisely the point. And that's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. You look at the master and you're like, that's not what Torah says. You look at Levite. That's not what Torah says. You see? Very important. Levi, just after five minutes, hey, I'll be your servant. What's happening? You see the rot of Gibeah. You see the decay of Gibeah, and not just decay, a mental decay, the mindset decay. But you see the rotten fruit of it in what they do, the deeds, their desires. We want to have sex with a Levite. It says a lot about the people. It says a lot about the master to say, hey, take my daughter, take the, take, take, take the concubine. It says a lot about the Levite where after five minutes, and, you know, he's offering himself so quickly to the old man that he just met. Why not offer himself to the Lord? You see? The formula's got to be right. Just like we say from our Sunday studies, we also say in our Wednesday studies, the formula has to be right. Formula of master, formula in servant, formula of priest, formula of tribe, formula of Israel, it has to be right. For effectuation of promise. You see? Here in Gibeah, Judges 19, everything is out of whack. Everything. The formula is wrong everywhere. You say, wait a second. We have a priest, though. We have a Levite. He wanted to go to the house of the Lord. Remember verse 18? He wanted to go to the house of the Lord. We got a Levite. We got a priest. Has an appearance of something good. When you look deeper and understand formula, just like the recipe that Brother Peter told us about on Sunday, just like the holy recipe that Brother Peter told us about just on Sunday. You look deeper, you can see better and understand that, yeah, this has the appearance of something good, the priest wanting to go to the house of God, but the heart is far from the Lord. You see? So now the old man who's the Levite's master, the Levite's master should be the Lord. But he was so quick to offer himself. And the old man, he's the, the Levite's master. He offers his virgin daughter and the Levite's concubine to the wicked men of Gibeah. Look what he says. He says of his own daughter and then the, 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 the Levite's concubine, he says, humble them in verse 24, humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. This is terrible. Terrible. I, there are some passages of scripture that are very painful. I, I, this is one of them. Judges 19. Verse 25, but the man would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them, the Levite. 
the Levite takes his concubine and brought her out to the men of Gibeah. The men of Gibeah, they wanted to have sex with the Levite. You know, banging on the door. Hey, get him out here so that we can have sex with him. The master, the old man, says his deal. They would not heed him. And then so the Levite now, he comes, he grabs his concubine, and he brings her out to the men. Brings his concubine out to the men. Now, the Levite takes his concubine in the Hebrew is to take with strength, but it's the same word used to describe a hardening of the heart. And when the heart is already hard. She wasn't a wife in the traditional sense. She was a wife as concubine, an object for sexual gratification. It's in no way to excuse what's happening here at all. But the marriage was pretty messed up from the get. When the wife is nothing but an object of sexual gratification, it reveals the hardness of heart of the husband. Now, for my beautiful sisters in Christ, young and old, I'm going to request that you give me some grace in what I'm about to say to men. There are so-called Christian men today, married, pastors included, perverted, perverted men with their pornography and sexual adventures. And by the counsel of so-called godly men, it's the wife's fault because she let herself go. Oh, look, my wife is chubby, so, you know, I do my pornography. Oh, look, my wife is wrinkly, so I go to the prostitutes. Oh, look, my wife is chubby and wrinkly, and she's missing a leg, and so I go to the strippers. So-called Christian men. at the council of so-called godly men, so-called pastors, so-called elders who blame the wife. Hey, wife, it's your fault. You need to go to the gym so your husband doesn't have this problem. You need to wear these clothes so your husband doesn't have these problems. You need to wear these this makeup so your husband doesn't have these problems. It's your fault, wife. So-called godly men. You see? And by the so-called Godly men, they give counsel that the wife has to put out on demand. Perform sexually on demand. Where a guy's at work. The wife is already on a guilt trip that, that the wife, that the husband has problems of pornography because it's her fault. The husband goes to the strippers because it's her fault. The husband goes to the prostitute because it's her fault. That's what the so-called pastors have said. The so-called elders, the so-called overseers have said. And so the wife has been taken on a guilt trip. So a guy's at work. He calls his wife and says, hey, wife, I'm being tempted sexually. I'll be home in five minutes. You see, the guy arrives home. He does the deed. Goes back to work and everything's fine. Everything seems fine. 
because this is all done by the counsel of so-called godly men. They got their degrees on the wall. They went to seminary. They went to Bible college. And this is the counsel that these so-called, so-called godly men give. Hey, wife, it's your fault. So you got to go to the gym. You got to wear your makeup. You got to dress like this. Do your fake eyelashes. Wear these clothes. Behave like this. Work out, diet, don't eat this, don't eat that. By the so-called godly men, women are taken on guilt trips. Let me tell you something. Men, men, if this is you, repent. Repent. You are dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. Your heart is hard. If that's your behavior, you are a twisted pervert. Your wife is your concubine. And the so-called godly men who counseled you to behave in this manner, they are corrupt. You need to repent and seek the Lord while he may be found. Repent. Run away from these so-called godly men who advised you in the ways of wickedness. To my sisters, I beg of you, still give me grace. Put your grace meter on high for me. Please, I beg. Men, 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 men. In Judges 19, this concubine of the Levite, she's an object for his sexual gratification. But where was this behavior of hers learned? Where did she get it from? Why was she accepting of being a concubine? And as concubine, why was she also unfaithful to her husband? Because remember, in verse 2, she played the harlot. And I'm reminded of Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, one little verse, verse 29. Do not cause your daughter to be a harlot lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. Do not cause your daughter to be a harlot. Now, look at this concubine's dad. We just met him in the earlier verses. We just met the guy. He seems like such a nice guy. He seems like he's so nice. Look, he was so welcoming to the Levite. What a nice guy. Men. 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 Men, men, sexual deviancy destroys the home. Sexual deviancy destroys the home. And through it, whatever it is, pornography, strippers, prostitute, the magazines, the dirty movies, the dirty shows, what you watch on the computer, what you watch on the phone, what you watch on the tablet. 
sexual deviancy destroys the home. Through it, a man defiles himself. And it metastasizes. It spreads. The wife becomes defiled. The sons become defiled. And the daughters become defiled. That's what happens. Hate me all you want. I'm just the messenger. For my sisters in Christ, remember, please, I beg of you, have your grace meter for me on high, ultra high. Because men need to hear this. Men. Sometimes I see women, young women, who are old women, young women. Sometimes I see these women. Very promiscuous in behavior and attire. You know what the first thing that comes to mind is? For me, the dad. That's the very first thing that comes to mind. You see, you know, a female who dresses a certain way, behaves a certain way, uh, speaks a certain way, very promiscuous. Very, very first thing that comes to mind is the dad. And it breaks my heart. Loser dad. Loser dad who set the bar so low and now the daughter has loser boyfriend to perpetuate the sexual promiscuity and behavior that started with dear old dad. With his dirty movies, dirty magazines, perverted looks. Oh, but the pastor says, looky, no touchy. The pastor says, it's okay to look, but I can't touch. You see? You got a pastor like that? Your pastor is a fool. Men, if you have a pastor like that, that says, you know, it's okay to look, but don't touch. If that's your pastor, you need to jump ship. Number one, you need to repent. You cannot submit to such a fool. That pastor is a fool. And it's the fool that heeds such a pastor. Men, 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 men. Do not cause your daughter to be a harlot. Men, do not cause your daughter to be a harlot and consider the millstone. Hate me all you want. I'm just the messenger. All this mess we see in Judges 19. We, what's happening? I mean, you read us. What in the, what's happening? Why do we get to this point? All this mess in the chapter. It, chapter 17, chapter 18. It breaks my heart. But you know what? My heart, it hurts most for the concubine. I don't like calling her concubine. I wish I knew her name because I want to give her some dignity in her memory. I wish I knew her name. Did her dad set the bar so low of what a man is? That now she's settled for a perverted husband. Oh, but he's a priest. Oh, but he's a Levite. That's nice. 
He's forgotten the Lord. So quick to offer himself to the old man. Five minutes, five minute conversation. Hey, I'll be your servant. But where in the world is such a Levite's servanthood to the Lord? Where? You see? But this concubine, and I wish I knew her name. Is the bar so low set by dad that she settles for the perverted husband? Now, I can't know for certain, but I have a hunch. I have a hunch at age three, baby girl sees dear old dad gawking at all the women in the square. At age 10, she sees dad gawking even more in his perversions. At age 15, she sees dad with his dirty magazines. Oh, but the priest, they say, looky, no touchy. It's okay, just look, but don't touch. And in her mind, she formulates this idea of what a man is based on dear old dad. Then she meets a man and figures everything is perfectly fine because she knows what a man is. And loser boyfriend becomes loser husband and the skids were greased by loser dad. see men i love you i love you i love you i love you as surely as the lord lives i love you hate me all you want where are the men of god where are the men who offer themselves to the lordship of jesus christ see this mess in Judges 19. The idolatry and the Lord becoming forgotten. It's metastasized to the state that we're in in Judges 19. But we see this in the church today. We see the exact same thing in the church today. Oh, but we have pastor. We, we, we have all these pastors on every street corner. That's nice. Israel had priests. Where are they? Oh, we got this priest right here, Judges 19. No, 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 no. Where are the priests? I'm talking Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. That's what I'm talking about. You see? This Levite from Judges 19 has now literally thrown his wives to the thrown his wife to the wolves of Gibeah. That's what he's done. Now look what happens. Look what happens. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. You know what happened? She was raped. Gang raped. All night long until the morning. That's what happened thrown to the wolves by her husband. I have to be very careful in this chapter in our study. I have to be very, very careful because it makes me sad. It makes me angry. It makes me furious. I don't like it. 
We've seen mess beget mess. And now, now it's felt very painfully. The concubine, the wife as concubine, not in the traditional sense. She's wife, yes, but to fulfill the sexual gratification for this so-called priest, so-called Levite. You say, wait a second, he was a Levite. I'm not talking about run-of-the-mill Levite. I'm talking Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan, something this Levite doesn't have. He can't touch it. He's nowhere near it. And she's raped, gang raped, all night long until the morning. I want to say something to the victim of rape. You're listening and you're the victim of rape. You're listening and you're the victim of molestation. You're the victim of repeated molestation, repeated rapes, and even gang rape. I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you. As surely as the Lord lives, He loves you. He wants me to tell you of His love. I've talked with victims of molestation and rape and gang rape. And they hear God's love. They hear about God's love and they want to laugh. It's almost offensive to them. How could, how could God love me, they say. And that might be you. You're wondering how in the world can God love me when every waking minute of mine is torment? You can't go five minutes in a day without torment because you think about what happened. Every minute, every second in torment. How can there be a God of love when I suffer so much pain? Let me tell you something. To the victim of molestation, rape, and gang rape, I love you. God loves you. And there is healing in Christ. There is healing in Him. I hate, I hate the reality of what you experienced. I hate it. One time I was talking with a, a giant of a guy, an adult male, a behemoth of a man. My, his, his pinky was like the size of a tree trunk. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he was a giant, full-grown adult male. And we had such a beautiful conversation. We're talking. And he begins to open up to me. And he begins to tell me about his childhood when he was molested. And this behemoth of a man, full-grown adult male, but he was big. And he was instantly like a five-year-old child. Instantly. Because he opened up and he was right back to that moment when he was molested and he spoke, he wept and we wept together. 
According to the world and the methods of man, the methods of Adam, he moved on with life. He had his prescriptions. He had his therapy sessions. He had the methods of man that helped him cope with his trauma. But he was not healed. He was not healed. Let me tell you something. There is absolutely healing in Jesus. I've had these painful and traumatic conversations with people and and women, victims of molestation, rape, gang rape. Know this. Those abusers. Me personally, I have to be very careful. I don't like it. Just so you know, when I say I have to be careful, when it comes to rape, molestation, especially against children, for me, I, I want to be judge, jury, and executioner. Yes, executioner. That's me. And I have to be very careful. But praise be to the Lord. That he is judge. Those abusers. You're the victim. Them. They're going to give an account. As surely as the Lord lives. They will give account. And I have these conversations. And they ask. Why did God allow this? You tell me God is love. How could he be love when I'm tormented? Why did God allow this? You have to be very careful with who you ask. Be very careful with who you ask. And if you're a new listener, you might be listening. You're like, okay, what what does he mean by this? But if you've been walking with us for a while, you know. Because the Calvinist, the person who is Calvinist, the person who is in Reformed theology, you know what they say? According to their doctrine, they say that it was God's will because in his sovereignty, he wills all things. That's what they say. You were raped and it's God's will. You were molested, you were gang raped, and it's God's will because God is sovereign and he wills all things. Let me tell you something. They're wrong. Straight up, they're wrong. If you're Calvin, if you're listening and you're Calvinist, you're reformed, repent and leave that cult. Your brand of theology is hurting people that Jesus died for. Repent and leave that cult cult. Your very teachers tell you to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. That's a lie from the pit of hell because they serve their father, the devil. Repent. If you're Calvinist reformed, repent and jump ship because that cult will lead you to hell. Go and listen to our message. Do not take the mark of the beast. You'll you'll hear the Calvinist so-called pastor advocate the mark of the beast. Because he serves his father, Satan. 
So when you hear me say, you have to be careful who you seek for counsel. You're the victim of rape and molestation and you go to a Christian and you say, why did God, uh, God, God allow this? And then they tell you, oh, God is sovereign. And he willed that to happen. That's part of God's will, your rape. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You're not wrong. They are. Their theology. It is wrong. It is false. And it will lead them to hell. But that's the Calvinist. That's the Reformed. I'm talking to you. And to the victim of rape and molestation. Understand, God doesn't make robots. And I don't say that in an anecdotal sense, you know, to, to put a band-aid on a, on a huge wound. But in a very basic sense, it's true. He doesn't make robots. Every single person has a choice. They have a choice to make on their own conduct. And if a person rejects the Lord, the pathway of delusion, it gets stronger and stronger. The pathway becomes the way of wickedness. It becomes evil. When it reaches this point, it's these people, these monsters. They're extremely dangerous. Very dangerous. Just like the monsters we see in Gibeah. Banging on the door. Give us the Levite. We want to have sex with them. The dad comes out, offers his virgin daughter, offers the concubine. They reject him. No, give us the guy. We want the, we want the Levite. The Levite comes out, grasping, holding on to his wife. How it translates in the Hebrew is like, you know, like a firm grasp and then like a, like an immediate separation. He like drags her out and like throws, throws her at the feet. Her own husband. That's Gibeah. Those are the monsters of Gibeah. Including the Levite. And to the victim of molestation and rape. This is the very thing that you are exposed to. The wicked monster. That's not what God put in motion. The Calvinists will say, oh, it was God's will. No, they're fools. They're wrong. They're on the pathway that leads to destruction because of their doctrine, their false doctrine. That's what the Reformed theology person will say. Oh, yeah, it was God's will. You're, you were raped. You were gang raped. You were molested when you were five years old. Oh, yeah, that's part of God's will. They're fools. Straight up fools. That's poison that spews out of their mouth. It is unholy. But understand, that's not what God put in motion. Your rape. Your molestation. That's not what God put in motion. You see, the so-called professional therapists, they'll give their pills, they'll give you the prescriptions, the SSRIs and the inhibitors, and they'll help you cope. They'll also turn you into a zombie, but they'll help you cope. But they will not heal. 
Jesus heals. He heals. Son of the Most High God. He heals. Something quite common these days. People, they say, oh, pastors and elders. Yeah, they can counsel. But there are some things that require the professionals, the professional therapists, and those who are trained and they went to their university, they studied psychiatry. They're the professionals. And people formulate this opinion based on something they know nothing about. They don't know about formula. They don't know about holy recipe. It must be right. The formula in the elder must be right. In the pastor, in the overseer, it must be right. Paul, he healed. Peter, he healed. Brother James, Brother James says, is anyone sick? Go to the elders for healing. That's what Brother James says. Is anyone sick? Go to the elders. So people do this today. They go to their elders as the Bible instructs. They go to their elders and nothing happens. There is no healing. Let me ask you a question. Is the Bible fake? Did Brother James lie? Is God incapable of healing? No, not at all. God is able. God is willing. Going to Jimenez for counsel and healing will profit you nothing. Going to Alexander for counsel and healing will profit you nothing. Just like these so-called priests of Judges 17, 18, and 19. They're compromised. With their sex and idolatry, they're compromised. But going to Paul, that's a different ballgame. Going to Peter, going to James, going to John, that's a different ballgame entirely. Why? Because the formula in them is right. You see? But the therapists are the professionals. They went to university, they studied, they do their psychology, they study, they give me the drugs, they do all these things. Let me ask you another question. What about the one who created the mind? What about the one who created you? I say unto you that Jesus, Son of the Most High God, He heals. And I tell you from experience. Look at Eden. Look at Eden. It was paradise paradise rightness with god and it was beautiful beautiful times infinity but that paradise was lost it was lost as a result of evil seduction which led to a choice to disobey and from there and since then god has been relentless and bringing people back to him relentless relentless for deceived mankind God gave commandments. They're rejected. God gave priests. The priests deny him. God gave prophets. They kill the prophets. God gave his son. They kill him.
God gave apostles. They killed them. And yet, even still, the Lord, God Almighty, is relentless for you. Straight up. And he wants me to tell you. To the victim of molestation and rape. Your pain testifies of a fallen world. Me, I can't take that away. But the Lord can. Jesus can. And he will. But you have to believe in him. You have to believe. And I've had these conversations with many people, teenagers, teenage boys, teenage girls, adult men, adult women, women who open up and they, they start to say, oh yeah, the pastor confronted me and he propositioned me for this, propositioned me for that. And these victims, you hear me say, you know, you have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus. And you say, wait a second. It's not that easy, you say. Why not? Why not? Why does healing have to be difficult? Because in Genesis 18, verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? What's hard for him? Let's put this in perspective. The creator of all things. Your heart is beating in your chest because of him. It's nighttime. You look up at the sky and you see the moon. I'm talking about the one who made that. It's daylight and you look up and you see the sun. I'm talking about the one who made that. What the Bible says, mountains, 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 they melt like wax before him. I'm talking about him. And you think he can't heal you? I tell you from experience, he can. And he will. Nothing is hard for the Lord. And if you're listening and you do believe, hit pause and listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. Through belief, you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You come back and you listen and we grow together. We journey together. Yes, to the victim of rape and molestation. Yes, your innocence was shattered. Innocence was stolen from you. You and me. You and me. Let's return to innocence. 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you will have peace. As surely as the Lord lives, you will have peace. You will be healed. And you will have joy. You will have joy again. Let's go back to our study. <clears throat> Let's go back to our study. In Judges 19. <clears throat> the Levite, the Levite priest, he's thrown his wife to the wolves and they raped her. All night long, they raped her. Look what happens here at the end of verse 25. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Verse 26, then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. In Hebrew, this falling down at the door translates as she died at the door. She died. She died. And when her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. I don't like chapter 19, just so you know. It's painful. It hurts. In verse 28, and he said to her, Get up and let us be going. That's what he said. Get up. Let us be going. I have to be very careful here. What a piece of work. What a piece of work, this Levite. This priest. What a piece of work. Get up, let us be going. Where in the world is his heart? Where in the world is his heart? It's become hard toward his wife. He speaks to her ravaged body. Get up, let us be going. She was raped repeatedly. Over and over and over and over and over and over all night long. Get up, let us be going, he says, but there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey and the man got up and went to his place. This is a very painful study, very painful chapter. A lot of things here, they make me sick. They make me sick in this chapter. Many avenues of things that make me sick. One of them, the Levite's servant told him, let's lodge here with the Jebusites. And it's the Levite who responded, oh no, they're foreigners. Let's go to Gibeah where it's nice and safe. Remember, that's what we looked at in verse 11 and 12. So he got to Gibeah all right, just like he wanted. But now look, 
dead wife. What a piece of work. In verse 29, when he entered his house, he took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. Blood in Israel. Blood in Israel. She died at the door. 12 pieces for 12 tribes. Blood in Israel. For my rabbi friends, listeners, and I know there are some. For my rabbi friends, I love you. She died at the door. In verse 30. And so it was that all who saw it said, no such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. Look what we see here. They remember Egypt. They remember Egypt. But who remembers the Lord? Who remembers the Lord? Oh, but we have our priests. We have our Levites. That's nice. Look at them. Look at them. Look at this Levite with his sexual desires. Remember in chapter 17 and 18? Look at the Levite with his idolatry. You got your priests all right. Picture a home that's unclean because of sexual sin. Do you think, in chapter 19, do you think this particular Levitical priest can clean? When he has his own sexual deviancies? Picture a home with idolatry. Do you think the Levite priest bought by Micah can clean? Remember, in the law, Torah, and I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but the law is still holy. It's the lesser light, which makes way for the greater glory in Jesus Christ. But in the law, Torah, the Lord has put something in motion. Where in the law, according to the law, he speaks to the high priest, who then speaks to the people. And the priesthood specifically designed to help people be right with the Lord, to help people be right with him, so that they can be clean before the Lord, so that there can be effectuation of God's beautiful promises unto a consecrated people. But I have a question. Where's consecration? Where are the priests? And with defunct priests, the Lord begins a movement among the prophets and those with ears to hear. And this is something that we'll soon study when we get to 1 Samuel. Because the law says that 
He'll speak to the high priest and the high priest will speak to the people. The priesthood, the Levites, they're going to help you be clean before the Lord. That's what the, that's what the, what the Lord put in place. The blueprints. Remember the blueprints? Moses on the mountain, if you've been walking with us for a while. That's what the Lord put in place. And when the formula is right in the priesthood, things can get out of whack a little bit, but that's quickly mitigated by a priesthood where the formula is right. Just like when you see in, in, in Joshua, the book of Joshua, remember Achan? There was just one Achan. Achan didn't, Achan sinned, and, but Achan didn't metastasize to where it spread to other people. No, Achan was dealt with. And I don't mean dealt with like, you know, like he was stoned. I mean, he was stoned and his kids were stoned. But remember, there was opportunity for them to repent and get right with the Lord so that they could be clean with the Lord. But the next day, Achan just figured, well, it's no big deal. But in the eyes of the Lord, it was a very big deal. Achan's sin didn't metastasize in the camp. Leadership matters. You see? And the Lord says that, yes, he'll speak to the high priest. The high priest will then speak to the people. And then the Levites, they're going to help everybody be right with the Lord and everything put in motion. But what happens when the priests are compromised? When the Levite so quickly puts himself in service to Micah with his idols. When the Levite so quickly puts himself after five minutes. Puts himself in service to the old guy of Gibeah. Where is the Levite who puts himself in service to the Lord? You see, the Lord puts something in place where when the formula is right, that would function well according to the old covenant. But when the defunct come in, when decay happens, and when the Lord becomes forgotten, he turns to the prophets. Remember Amos? I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm no prophet nor the son of the prophet. And the Lord says, surprise Amos, you're my guy. This is what I want you to tell my people. To Isaiah. Isaiah, you're my guy. This is what I want you to say to my people. And it wasn't pretty. The things that they said, it wasn't pretty. Because the prophets were called because the people forgot the Lord. Where the prophet Isaiah says, you know, thus saith the Lord, your sacrifices are an abomination to me. Whoa, where you look at Torah, you're like, wow, the sacrifices of the Lord, they're quite beautiful. They're very beautiful. But then you get to Isaiah and they're an abomination. What happened? Is Isaiah wrong? Nope. Is the Lord wrong? Definitely no. Who's left? The people. Their hearts are far from the Lord. And the priests become defunct. 
enter the prophets. You see? This isn't reserved for the old covenant only. Because today, today, where is consecration? Where are the shepherds? Where are those with ears to hear? Where? Nothing new under the sun. The Lord tells us. He tells us and teaches us the sign. Remember the disciples, they asked Jesus, you know, what is the sign of the end? And, you know, the, the end of the age and the sign of your coming. And the Lord, he starts to reveal. And he starts to indicate this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Paul reveals this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Peter reveals this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. John reveals this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to You put it all together and what do you get? A whole lot of mess in the last days. A whole lot of hurt and pain in the last days. Tribulation, perilous times, and sorrows. That's what you get before the good shepherd returns, before the bridegroom returns for his bride. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.